Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. My message is all about God restoring ruins. Okay, God intervening and intersecting places that have been in ruins. And when I pray about a message, I always ask God and I say, God, what's heaven talking about? I want to know. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about what heaven's talking about. Because guess what? In heaven, there's no tears. There's no weeping. There's only good things in heaven. So I want to chat with them. I want to know what is God talking about. You know what he said to me? He said, heaven's talking about prayer. I said, oh, okay. Where do you want me to go? And he said, Nehemiah. I said, okay, I like Nehemiah. And what I love about Nehemiah is he was a passionate man. Did you know that? It doesn't say that in the book, but if you read through the lines, he was so passionate, he even pulled someone's hair out. I'm not going to do that, but I relate to the passionate side of this man. (laughs) So who was Nehemiah? If you don't know, he was a cupbearer in the king's palace in Persia. And he was a very faithful man. He was trustworthy. He was a man that was positioned for such a time as this, as are you, church. You are positioned for such a time as this. Nehemiah was super comfortable. He had made it in the world. He was in the kingdom, right at the top, right with the king. And yet when he saw the state of ruined city, his city, when he saw it, he said to God, would you send me? Can I go? Like, it's amazing, hey? Nehemiah actually knew what it was to stand in the gap for restoration for those ruins. And I really love that. And when I um, looked at Nehemiah, I felt God say to me, Claire, this is a blueprint for the church. Nehemiah is what we're meant to look like. And a few weeks ago, a few people who would know the story, but a few weeks ago, we got up really early to go to prayer meeting. And before we go, David always goes to feed our chickens. <laughs> And so he goes to feed the chickens, and I noticed he was taking a lot longer than normal. And I'm like, what's going on? And anyhow, so I go out to check, and he said, we have a snake in our chicken coop. We had a python, and this python was happily curled up in our chicken coop. He had killed a chicken, and the other chickens were huddled in the corner because the python had made himself so comfortable that he wasn't going anywhere. He was fast asleep, and our poor chickens were literally trembling in the corner. And David had to pull out this huge python, because I don't do snakes, nor does Tennille. <laughs> well, actually, she does. She picks them up. But I don't do snakes, so I'm watching. He's like, getting a bag. I couldn't even get a bag. Tennille had to get it. <laughs> but this stupid snake had actually killed one of our chickens, And, you know, as I was preparing this message, the Lord said to me, that's exactly what the devil does to us. He comes into a place he's not welcome. He takes what isn't his. Why? Because usually there's a little gap somewhere that he's able to get into. And so what David did was he pulled the snake out. We had a dead chicken. There was carnage. But he fixed the gap. He fixed the gap in the the in the field. Well, it wasn't really a fence, but where the snake got in. And this is our story with Nehemiah. God called him to be the one who would fill the gap. And calling you and I to do no less. And so today we're going to read from Nehemiah. If you've got your Bibles, open up to chapter 1. And the background is, is that the children of Israel had been taken captive. Then they were given back their city and they had returned to live in their city, but their city was in ruins. Listen to this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of 
H, came to pass in the months of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, that's Persia, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Just like Mark was talking about. A lot of anxiety. They were sad. They were overwhelmed. And then he said, the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I'm just going to jump to verse 8. And so he started to pray and he said, God, remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of, the, some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. There's the promise. What a good prayer, hey? The people had returned to Jerusalem, but they weren't free. They had their city back, but it was in ruins. Is this no different to what Jesus has done for us? Don't we ask the questions, where's the miracles? Where's the signs and wonders? Where is everything Jesus won on the cross? Well, here are the people in the city, and it's in ruins. But God had given them back their city. What's going on? What's wrong? These people, because they had no walls, they lived in a place that was unprotected. They lived in a place where the enemy could come in just like that snake and take what was not his. And haven't we found ourselves in that place? Have we not found broken families, marriages, homes, children, health, finances? Have we not all known what it is to live in ruins? Have you? I don't know what kind of week you've had, but my week was full on. <laughs> it felt like ruins. I needed this message this week, okay? I have a friend, you know, and she... She just lives in a constant state of broken walls in her life. And because of that, she's always in anxiety. She's always in dread. When she was in COVID, she actually didn't even cope. She just thought something bad. She couldn't even get out of bed some days because, you see, her walls were broken down. And I don't believe that that's ever been the place God's designed you and I to live from. That has not been his perfect will for us. And that is not the end of our story, those ruins. You see, Nehemiah was called to restore walls and gates to a, destruct, a city in destruction. But he was also called to bring justice and restore justice to the oppressed and to bring freedom to the slaves. And he was, bring, he was called to bring hope to the nation. And that is our message, church. Same thing. You see, the message of Nehemiah was always about restoration. And, you know, while I was doing this, this message, I looked up the stats I just wanted to see out of interest, how many people had died this year from COVID. 1.4 million. It's only November. 1.4 million. The enemy has been at work. No wonder God's word over our church was awake. Think about it. Last year, this time November, the word was awake. Church, did we listen? <laughs> Did we listen? You see, I heard the words from the Lord say to me. He said, pursue, overtake, and restore all. He said, that is the mantle, mantle on my church in this season. The devil has come. He's taken. 
the people in the Jerusalem had returned, but it had been a hundred years since they had returned. 150 years since they had actually been given back their city, and 100 years had been living in ruins. How many generations will it take for us to stay in a place of ruins? That's not God's plan. And then that had a, a generation rose up who tried to rebuild the wall, but the enemy took them out and they gave up. How many of us have given up? You see, what we can learn from Nehemiah was when Nehemiah saw the true state of the walls, he had he had eyes to see and ears to hear. And so what did he do? Number one, he turned his face to God in a crisis. So when everything went wrong, he fell on his knees and started to seek God. You see, this is where we win our battles, church, on our knees. He knew what it was to pray, but not just pray. He also knew the promises of God. So he said, hey, Jerusalem may be, in, may be destroyed, but you know what? That's never been written in God's book as its story. So he decided he'd be the man that would take the promise and he would pray the promise to fulfillment. And that's what he took. And I love that he did that. You see, he said, God, you said, you said in your word, you told Moses that you would inhabit Jerusalem. You're the God Almighty. Why would you inhabit ruins? So he knew promise was attached to those destructive places. He knew in the hatches there was promise yet to come. And so he stood in the gap. Isn't that awesome? You know, I, I can't help but think because that's Old Testament. But then I looked to New Testament and I looked to the book of Acts. And I saw that the, the church in Acts came under so much persecution that the, they all split and scattered. But you know what it also says? It says when the persecution arose, the church stepped into intense season of intercession. And then I hear another story in Acts about Peter gets thrown into prison and he gets chained up and he gets put in this, this dungeon of a prison and the church begins to pray. And guess what? An angel comes along, prods Peter awake, just like we had last year. Wake up, Peter. The moment Peter stood up and woke up, guess what? Chains fell off, prison doors opened, and he walked free. Church, that's how powerful our prayers are. That is how powerful our prayers are. Our prayers are going to cause chains to fall off, prison doors to open, and men and women to walk free. Isn't that good? You know, Jesus gave his disciples very clear instructions. You know what he said? He said, watch and pray. He said, stay awake, keep watch, and pray for strength against temptation and not to fail the test. The spirit wants to do what's right, but the flesh is, is weak. He says, be on your guard and stay alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. We need to awake in prayer, church. It is time. Do you know, I read, I read this book, and um, it was about the watch, and they told the story about the Titanic. Did you know that the Titanic had crows, a crow's nest? And two men, watchmen, were put on the crow's nest. But you know what? They gave them no binoculars. Really? we got to see, church. We've got to see what's coming. We've got to see before the world sees what's coming. And God warns his people always. And you know, the Titanic was actually warned of the iceberg. You know what happened? She was actually supposed to be unsinkable. Did you know that? She, had, she didn't have enough lifeboats. Okay, so she had all those guests get on, not enough lifeboats. She was unprepared. Okay, she had equipment, the state-of-the-art communication equipment. But you know what? It was so busy that night with just silly sound of passengers complaining about things that were going on on the ship that another ship actually tried to contact them and say, there's an iceberg ahead, but their communication systems were so busy that they didn't hear the warning. 
And what happened, the inevitable? It sunk. It was almost midnight when the Titanic went down. And I believe that's about where we are today. On God's timetable, it's time for us believers to grow up and become mature in God. Heed the warning, church. He's called us to awake for a reason. We have an enemy. And those lifeboats, I wonder if that could be our local churches. We need every single lifeboat. The Titanic needed them. The individual life jackets were not enough because the temperature of the water was too cold. They needed the lifeboats to stay alive. Church COVID tried to shut our lifeboats. And you know the saddest thing is? We agreed with it. The saddest thing is we're all like, great, we need a break. Really? See, our lifeboats, the local church, they're supposed to be strong and healthy. Don't blow holes in your local church. Okay, we've got to keep this place strong and healthy. We've got a world out there that needs a safe place to walk into. You know what Jeff Vine says? He says, you know how you fill up a prayer room? You find desperate people. Desperate people. We are way too comfortable, church. Do you know that every time there was a great revival, there was a great prayer move? Before a move of God, as we pray, God moves. He's restoring his church to be a house of prayer. Where are we, church? Where are we? We have 1.4 million people died on our watch. Really? I'm stirred. I am stirred over this. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and I love that he was a cupbearer because think about it. The cupbearer had to take a drink of wine before the king did every time he had to take that drink because there might be poison in the cup. And if, he, if there was poison, where was, where was Nehemiah? Dead. He had to live in that place, ready to die every day. Every day. He served faithfully. His faithful service to the king brought him great favor. You see, when he hears the state of the war, what he does, he goes to the king. And in that place, because he's been so faithful, church, faithfulness is so important in your walk with God. Do you know the word of God says the eyes of God are drawn to the faithful. That means when you stay faithful in your desert season, when you stay faithful in the places that God caused you, when you stay faithful in what he asks you to do, his eyes are drawn to you. And when his eyes are drawn to you, there's favor on your life. It is a powerful place. We have a culture in our life, in our world that does not promote faithfulness. If it's too hard, give up. If your marriage isn't working, let's find someone else. No, that is not kingdom. Nothing of that is kingdom. You see, our faith can't be circumstantial. It's got to be. You know what? We turn up for church in, the, in Sunday morning, not because we've got a great speaker or great singing. We turn up to church because we believe in the lifeboat. We believe that we're called to save lives. Oh, my goodness, I am stirred. And I love that Nehemiah knew what it was to spend time with the king. Church, this is the only place that we would find our strength, is when we spend time with the king. You see, he was positioned in a place of influence and government for this next moment, for restoration. Where has he positioned you? My second point is that we are positioned in high places. Do you know what? One day he was in the king's court and he was sad. And the king, because they were intimate and he knew him, he asked Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah's heart was broken for his people and his nation and for the walls and for his people to live in a place that was unprotected. And so the king says, I give you, Nehemiah, authority to go. 
He gave him access. You know what, too? The king's forest that all the wood Nehemiah would need would be provided by the king. And then he gave him legal documents signed by himself to open up territories for Nehemiah to pass through. And then he sent the king's army to go before him. How powerful is that? Do you know, church, this is our story. Get ready, okay? Ephesians 2, 6, what does he say? He said he's raised us up with him. When we believe, we are. Where are we seated? Seated in heavenly places, high places, because we are co-seated in Christ. Wow. And what, what does that give us? You see, that seat, that throne room I saw this morning, is we are seated in heavenly places far above all principalities, all power and might and dominion and every name, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under our feet. Wow. How cool is that? You know, while I was doing this, I was telling David this morning, all I kept hearing was, does anyone remember that old song? That was sung a few years ago. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Come on, church. Do you remember what we used to do? We used to walk like this. One way, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back. We used to do all the actions. (laughs) Do you remember that? That's our song today. (laughs) Are you ready, church? You see, when we get to pray from that high place, we pray with authority and with power. And what that gives us? Access to the kingdom resources. There is nothing you will lack. We're on the king's page in this house. Did you know that? We're on king's assignment here. He will give you every resource. When he calls you and you say yes, he will give you every resource you need to fulfill it. And you know what I love about the legal document? The legal document is the name of Jesus, signed by the precious blood of Jesus. Wow, Matthew 16 says, I have given you complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes on heaven. A no on, on, in heaven is a no on earth. Wow. And to top it off, he is the God of Sabaoth. Do you know what that is? The God of the angel armies. He sends his angel armies with you to go before you, to make a way to protect you, to guard you, and to keep you and to fight your battles for you. This is who we are, church. Did you know this is who we are? Because I had a week where I did not feel that. I had to start preaching to myself. And I like it. You see, on this place on your knees... God gave Nehemiah heaven's war room strategies. Okay, how do I build the wall? Whatever your crisis is, you're going to get your strategy on your knees. Okay, how do I build the wall? And I love it. I love it because Matthew 18 says, where two of you get together and agree on anything on earth, and you make a prayer of it, doesn't have to be a fancy prayer, Just a little prayer, okay? My father goes into action. Yes! And when two or three agree are together because of me, guess what? He's right here in the midst of us. And I say this in prayer meeting all the time. We only need two or three. But I actually would like to see you all here, just so you know that. (laughs) You know, when I read Nehemiah, what I loved in chapter 3, the strategy God gave him was that they would build in families. And I love it because in the Bible it says... 
that he records the names of those who build. Don't you want your name recorded? I don't want fame, but I want my name recorded in heaven because I'm one that builds. And he recorded the names. And it's really amazing because when you read it, it says, you know, such and such. And next to him, such and such. And next to him, such and such. And then there was even one that caught my attention. This man and his daughters built. And next to him, I'm like, okay, I'm included in this. And next to him, tell me, who's, who are you building next to? Who's next to you? Are you actually on the wall? Because what he did, he placed them on the wall in families, but there was someone next to them. Okay, you've got to have somebody next to them. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a night, I was so churned about the state of the church and our lifeboats and where we are as people and in God. I, was so, I could not sleep, and this doesn't happen to me very often, but when I don't sleep, I knew God was, but he was impressing something on me, and I literally was pacing and going, God, what is going on? What do you need us to do? And he, that's when he said Nehemiah to me. The next morning, I come to prayer meeting, and Nick and I were talking. Nick, you are a blessing to me. Nick and I were talking, and Nick started to share that that night, he hadn't had a good night either, and he spent a late night, and him too, you were the same, um, and he'd been watching some Netflix, and he watched this program called The Playbook. And it was a documentary of coaches who coach champions. And they share their personal stories for success and rules for how to live life and do sport well. And he told me the story about a coach named Doc Rivers. And this coach um, coached the LA Clippers in basketball. And the moment Nick started talking to me and he started to share the, the principle and the story, I felt my spirit leaping. And um, what happened was this coach had four keys to life. First one, and I loved it, finish the race. Don't be a victim. Church, do not be a victim. We are victors, not victims. Umbunti is a way of life, and pressure is a privilege. <laughs> I took that this week. Pressure is a privilege, okay? And what he found was he had some really big, gifted players on the team, but they were playing for their own name and their own fame. Doesn't work. Couldn't get, they couldn't win. Could not win. So someone came to him and said to him about this word Ubuntu. And the moment they started to live Ubuntu, everything changed. They won the championship they hadn't been able to win for 17 years. So you so what is Ubuntu? Does anyone know what Ubuntu is that's in here apart from Nick? Okay, well, and, and, and Chris, <laughs> Crispy. Okay, Ubuntu is a way of life, but also a way of living. The theology of Ubuntu is deeply embedded in African spirituality, Central to Ubuntu is forgiveness and reconciliation. A Zimbabwean word, I am because you are. Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela, this is my heritage, I'm South African, they lived by Ubuntu. And what he said was, I can't be who I am unless you are who you are. The better you are, the better I am. They preached and lived this word. We are called to be Christ-led. I am because you are. This is what saved Africa. He said we are all South Africa. Now is the time to heal wounds. If you're carrying wounds, church, now's the time to heal them. Now's the time to forgive. Now's the time to let go of what happened in your past. This is a new day and a new season. Okay, and he said, now's the time to build a new South Africa moving forward as one country. Nelson Mandela, he joined hands with his white vice president who once supported apartheid. And this is what he said, not me, but we. It's connection, community, 
and mutual caring. And there's, an, there's a little story that goes with this. It's an anthropologist. He went to Africa with a basket of fruit and he found a little group of African children and he said to them, whoever of you can run to that tree over there the fastest, I'm going to give you the basket of fruit. The children were so excited. They ran. They, they, began to, they prepared to run. He counted them down. And as they started running, you know what they did? They took each other's hands and they ran together. And they sat together at the end enjoying the fruits. And when asked why they ran like that as one could have taken all the fruit for yourself, they said, Ubuntu. How can one of us be happy if all the others are sad? Think about that, church. We've got a Europe, Europe who is, this Christmas, they've had funerals all year. Okay, think about it. How can one be happy if all the others are sad? Ubuntu was their way of life. I am because you are. This is the way of the kingdom, church. We cannot do this alone. Uh, we're not supposed to be just David and I. It's supposed to be us, not I, but we. We're all supposed to be doing something for the kingdom. We're all supposed to be praying. All of us. It doesn't stop. Psalm 133, what does it say? It says how pleasant it is. When brethren dwell together in unity, it's from this place he commands the blessing. You know, who wants revival? Do you want revival? I tell you where revival is going to come from. Unity. When we are one, when we have one voice, one sound, when we are praying one prayer. God, we need you. Would you forgive us? Would you come? In Pentecost, what did they do? They went to the upper room. They went into the upper room and they started to pray in unity. Out of that place was a pouring out so great that we are still feeling the ripples from it. Unity is the key to victory. So Nehemiah built in the place of family. A little warning here, church. The work will be contested. Okay, when we start to come into unity, whoo, watch out. And I don't know, I think it's been ramped up over the last couple of weeks and months. I, every time we get close and close to someone, whew, the devil tries to divide. Because if he can divide, he can conquer. In your marriage, if he can divide you, he will conquer your marriage. It won't work. But if you stay in unity, if you stay in unity in the house and you say, I refuse to blow holes in my lifeboat, I am only going to speak life over my house and over this church. And not just that, I'm going to take my place. And I'm going to build the house of God because I believe that there's people out there that needs a safe place to come into. It's so powerful. But you see, the enemy came in for Nehemiah and his team on the wall, and he brought distraction. He brought such overwhelming and tiredness. Have we felt that? I have. He's brought fear. Oh, my goodness. I was fearful this morning to get up. Okay, I felt fear. Accusations. He's going to say stuff about you. He's, going to th he's actually going to bring someone who's going to gossip about you. Yeah, he'll bring all this stuff. I tell you, I've seen it. Offense. Oh, if he can get offended, that's awesome. If he can get in here, if you're offended in the house of God and it keeps you out, oh, he's dancing, he's cheering. It's, it's not okay. You see, if we fight together, you see what he did was Nehemiah got his team to stand shoulder by shoulder, face shields locked, swords. He told them, take your sword, put it on your hip, take the other hand, and use your building tool. Do not build without your sword. Right in central of everything you do. Why? Because you've got to remember your promise in your battle. You've got to remember when the enemy comes in, what did God say? And you've got to remind him and say, God said. God said. It's so important. And then he gave him the most wonderful strategy, which I have used, and I use it all week this week. He said to them, 
Don't forget how big and mighty your awesome God is. He made God bigger than his enemy. He made God bigger than the ruins. He made God bigger than what they felt. He made God so big that all they could see was victory is ours. How powerful is that? In in Nehemiah 4, he says, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and imprint him on your mind. And take from him this morning, I took from him courage. And I felt as we were praying this morning, there's a few of you here that need a fresh infusion of courage for the battle that God's placed you in. Okay, and then he says, fight for your sons and your daughters and your families. Take your place. Fight for your families. Nehemiah knew that God was calling him to be the one to hold Hold the place in that gap. He's calling you and he's calling me to fight for our families, not from a place of, of being a victim, but a place of victory. He's won it all, church. He's just asking us to appropriate it. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews says, faith. This is about the faith, um, the, you know, the, the faith, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. It says, faith will spark courage within us to be mighty warriors in battle where we can pull armies from another realm into battle array. As we come together, supernatural power is released. The war was completed in 52 days. A few years ago, we were in a staff retreat, David and I. And we were all, Pastor Byron was prophesied. When Pastor Byron gets prophesied, just so you all know, okay, that's us, okay? So they're prophesying over Pastor Byron. I'm going, that's me, okay, because we're highway. And this is what he said. The prophecy said, what would normally take a year would take a month. What would take a month would take a week. What would take a week would take a day. The impossible that we see now will become possible. This is the season. Church, imagine if your breakthrough is actually in this room because of who you're sitting next to. Think about that. And I felt a little warning here. I felt God say, many of you have been taken off your wall. Maybe today it's time you took your place again. The last and final thing, Nehemiah calls the church as he shouted at injustice. You see, we are called to set the captives free, to open prison doors, to heal the brokenhearted, restore justice and peace to the oppressed, Bring beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for heaviness. The ruins will be rebuilt. Do you know, Peter reminds us that we are living stones. The wall is built through us. We have to take our place. You cannot build a a wall with one stone. It has to be together. And God will use your ruins. It will be the very place that's the perfect place for restoration. I love that. The, you know, John 10, 10 says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, steal, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But, but Jesus, he said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. This is where God calls us to live, okay? He calls us to live in a place. Nehemiah saw the injustice of what happened to his people. He saw how sad they were. And he saw that because they were living in ruins, that their enemies and even their leaders had actually taken things from them and they'd become indebted. They'd become into debt. They'd become slaves. They had no food. And they were in a place of poverty. And so Nia shouts, he actually goes into the courtroom and he shouts at the injustice. And this is what he says in Nehemiah 5. He says, restore their fields, vineyards, olive yards and homes to them this very day and drop your claims against them. As we declare things shall be established. You know what? God used Nehemiah's voice, but he wants to use yours. 
Those ruins, nothing would have changed unless a man, unless a church rises up and starts to declare the promise that God has over your story. It's time to take it. God used Nehemiah's voice to release the blessing. When we sang that song this morning, we were releasing something into the atmosphere. We were saying we are people of the blessing, not of the curse. We are are prophesying over our circumstances. You see, Nehemiah's assignment was always about the things to come. Always about the promise being fulfilled. Fields, vineyards, olives, olive groves and homes. Think about that. Nehemiah restored 12 gates of the city. 12 means government. Kingdom government was restored. What does kingdom government look like? Blessing and abundance. It's a government of peace. It's a place of safety. It's a place of overflow, of more than enough. This is what heaven looks like, church. This is ours, okay? And fields, that speaks to me of grain. Vineyard speaks to me of new wine. Olive grove speaks to me of fresh oil. And that, and homes, and you know, that speaks to me of harvest. Harvest, overflow, increase is ours. This is our portion, not ruins. That's not where we're staying. It's not our end of our story. Bible City gives us beauty for ashes. Deuteronomy 11.14 says, Then I will send rain upon your land, and in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, wine, and olive oil. This was a foretaste of the coming of the Holy Spirit and everything Jesus came to do. He came to make all things new. You see, God was always talking about promise being restored, and that's what he's saying to you today, no matter what you see. Harvest to the people. If you think about it, grain, grain is produced from sifting. Wine is produced from crushing. Oil is produced from pressing. Out of your trial is going to come joy. Unspeakable signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay, okay, think about it, okay? That grain is harvest, a restoration of revelation. God speaks fresh word, bread for food for his house. It's no more financial problems. Okay, I'm not saying that we're all going to be millionaires, but there's going to be enough, more than enough. That vineyard, that vineyard often speaks of the house of God, new wine, renewed love and intimacy, the church being all about him, all about loving Jesus, not about fame or names, all about Jesus, joy being restored, new wine is new power. Okay, we're going to flow in that, we're going to be continually fresh and growing, flourishing, new grains is new covenant, the new covenant no longer under the law, love God, love people, church. Not doing things the old way, just what David spoke on that communion. Everything done through Jesus. The curse is broken, church. Did you know that? You're no longer slave to sin. Did you know that? Do you know that? Then we've got to start living like that. Okay? Amos 9 says, The days are coming to the Lord when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from mountains and flow from all the, and flow from all the hills. The new wine season is one of miracles, signs and wonder and harvest. And it's so funny because as I was writing this message, I'm finishing it and I'm going, I love that new wine, God. Let new wine flow. I hear beep, beep. I'm like, what? I look out my window, run downstairs. My dogs are barking and there's a postman and he comes and gives me this huge box. I'm like, what is the box? I've not ordered anything. I open the box in the kitchen and guess what's in the box? Bottles and bottles of grape juice. (laughs) I'm like, is that not prophetic, God? I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. God is a good, good God. Church, are you ready? You see the oil. The oil speaks of the anointing to heal, 
to set the captives free, to break yokes. It sets off an oil that anoints his people to be set apart, to be instruments in this day. And it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then homes, no longer orphans in the house church. Every single one of you belonging, knowing who you are, sons and daughters. He longs to reveal his glory in his sons and his daughters. And you know what I love? When, when all this was starting to be restored to the city, can you imagine the joy? They had lack, they had pain, they had sadness, they had anxiety. All of a sudden, they were safe, they were full, they had food, they had family back, no more slaves. Can you imagine the joy in the city? This is our portion, church. This is a God we serve. He always, always planned us to find our place in him and his presence. You see, Nehemiah got the people to reconsecrate themselves. Some of you might be sitting here today and go, I've not been in the house of God for a long time. And God is saying to you, I want to reconsecrate consecrate my life to him so that in this new season, I'm going to be alive and awake and praying. I'm going to have the new wine flowing, the oil and the grain, the revelation. I'm going to be your, your vessel, God. But they had to come in a consecration, a new consecration. God, would you use me? And then from there, Nehemiah asked the people to place the, the word of God central into their life. They started to read the word of God. Then Nehemiah said, and we're going to now celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was what we sang, where God was right there in the midst of them in the wilderness, where they dwelt in tents, and he was before them and he was behind them. And he said, just as the promise he gave to Nehemiah right at the beginning when he prayed, and Nehemiah said, remember God, you said you would dwell in Jerusalem. You see, when they celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles, what they were doing was they were celebrating what has been, what God had just done, but they started to celebrate what was coming, a day where that veil would be torn, the day where his presence would dwell in men and he would tabernacle with men just as he did in the Garden of Eden. How powerful is that church? And that is where we're at. That is where we're at today. I pray today that you are stirred. You are stirred that we are not going to be found sleeping. Not going to be found sleeping. The fourth watch of the night in, in military campaigns is a time where every soldier is dressed and ready because the darkest time of night just before the dawn, they know that's when the enemy wants to attack. This is not a season, church, to stay home. It's not a season not to open your word. It's not a season not to be in a prayer room. It's a season to find yourself at the feet of Jesus every single day. It's a season where you've got new wine flowing with through you. Love God, love people. It's a season where we've got to do it together. Ubuntu, you are, I am because you are. Let's do it together, church. Can I pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you. I thank you. You're stirring us awake. I thank you, Lord. You're saying, not on your watch, church. Come on, you're my people. So, Father, I pray there'd be a fresh stirring in our hearts today. Lord, a fresh longing for the more. And, Lord, a reminder today that when we are weak, you are strong. That, Lord, if we find ourselves in ruins, that there's promise attached to our ruins. That's not the end of our story. So, Father, I pray that you would start to move us out of those places of ruins and you would start to bring the beauty out of the ashes. But more than that, Father, I pray that your people would know that they are seated in heavenly places. The enemy is under our feet. Father, may we execute the authority and the power that you have given us. 
May we walk in everything that you won for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. And may we be the people not stuck in the crow's nest with no binoculars, but may we be the people that see and hear what heaven is talking about in this season. May we be the ones to say, God, would you pick me? Can I go, God, when I carry your presence? Can I carry your power? And Father, I speak restoration over every ruins over this house, over every marriage, over every family, over sick bodies. I speak healing in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that we're walking into days that are unprecedented, unprecedented. So Father, may we position ourselves for the more. In Jesus' name, amen. One final thing, church, as I go. Have you ever been to the water park and there's a big bucket and it's slowly filling up, okay? And all the kids know what's about to happen, okay? They know if they position themselves underneath that bucket, when that bucket full pours out, they are going to get washed and poured out upon. And all I can say to you is we're in a supernatural moment in history where God says the tipping of those balls in heaven of prayer and incense are about to be tipped up. And as they are, if you are positioned in the place, He's going to pour out His Spirit on you. There's going to be an amazing move of God, church. I know I don't want to miss out. Do you? And just for the record, this isn't hype. It's not hype. It's not hype, church. It's a warning. That night I couldn't sleep. The Lord just didn't just give me Nehemiah. He gave me Joel. And he said, blow the trumpet in Zion. Warn the people. It's time to awake. It's time to get ready. Dress yourself ready. Be willing and ready to hear when God says move, His church is going to move out. Church, are you hearing? I pray you do. I pray that you will not do this new year coming up the same as you've done the last. I pray never, ever on our watch again will we have 1.4 million people die on our watch. We have a responsibility, church. It's serious. 